the markets. We just can't get enough of them. Markets are the drivers of your wealth and investment strategy. Welcome to Magic Markets with your co-hosts, the Finance Coast and Mohamed Nala. Together, we have more than 25 years of combined experience in the markets. For those looking to take their market and business knowledge to the next level, we offer Magic Markets Premium, a research reports and podcast library that nearly has 100 reports in it and a new one every week, all available for just 99 Rand a month. Recent reports have included the likes of Kroger, Deer & Co, Foot Locker, McDonald's, UPS, Apple, Meta, Johnson & Johnson & Swatch. With broad variety and deep research, this is perfect for anyone looking to go to the next level. We invite you to join us in Magic Markets Premium. Go to magic-markets.com to subscribe. This episode of Magic Markets is brought to you by B2IT. Have you heard of Robotic Process Automation or RPA? It taps into the incredible potential of artificial intelligence to effortlessly handle those never-ending, monotonous tasks. Or as B2IT put it, they make robots so people don't have to be robots. Visit b2it.co.za to kickstart your business automation journey. We thank B2IT for their support of Magic Markets. Welcome to episode 156 of Magic Markets. This is the very last podcast I'm recording for 2023. Mo, I'm not sure about any other stuff you're doing, but I'm assuming it's your last one as well. Much as I love you and enjoy seeing your face on Riverside that we do this on, I am quite happy that this year is done. And I suspect that anyone listening to this is also quite ready for a holiday now. Indeed, Ghost. I think a well-deserved rest on on both sides and also probably for our listeners as well. I, I don't think anyone out here wants to see you turn into a literal ghost. Uh, and so some some rest and recuperation definitely called for at this time of year. Yes, this is my last podcast for the year as well. And, you know, we'll be coming back into this straight after the kind of Christmas New Year break next year. But that doesn't mean we don't have a great show lined up for you today. Because today, Ghost, we're looking at two big, let's call it big tech stocks in the U.S. that both had results out last week. I know that you're covering Adobe. That's a stock that we have covered in Magic Markets Premium. And you're going to give us some insights on that. I've looked at Oracle, and that's a stock that we haven't covered. And a lot of people might know the Oracle name, the brand, but I don't know if people are really quite familiar with what Oracle does as a business. So we're going to unpack some of that. And if you're happy, Ghost, I'll jump straight into Oracle with just a bit of a preview. What is Oracle? What do they do? Yeah, I mean, I know the Oracle from the Matrix. So I'm quite excited to learn something <laughs> about a different kind of Oracle. Yeah, it's, it's certainly not a, a nice lady next door baking some nice cookies and then offering you the red pill or the blue pill, right? It's Our Oracle Corporation is, is really one of these old, I call it old because it comes from the era of, you know, the Microsofts and the IBMs when there were there weren't as many big tech names out there. And Oracle quite synonymous with its founder, with Larry Ellison. And if you don't know Oracle, you probably do know Larry Ellison because, you know, he's been quite out there. He's famous for racing his yachts around the world and Oracle sponsoring a lot of that passion. Oracle, a big sponsor of a lot of yacht races around the world. Again, the problems of the rich and famous. But getting back to Oracle, what do they do? Well, they're this multinational computer tech company and they specialize in database software. That's the first time I came across them is back in corporate South Africa. Some of the large corporates were using Oracle and very strong in the database space. But given where the industry has shifted, Oracle also strong in, you know, or if they say they're strong, we'll get into that, in cloud computing, uh, effectively an enterprise-orientated business. They're not something that's out there selling to you and I. They're out there selling to the big corporations of the world. Now, 
in the space and specifically in cloud computing, they compete against the likes of Amazon Web Services. And again, we've covered Amazon in Magic Markets Premium. Go and have a look at that. They compete against Amazon Web Services. They compete against Microsoft's Azure and also Google Cloud. And so this is really what the competitive landscape looks like. Now, for my first point, I want to get into some of these dynamics because where does Oracle actually stack up? And the first view would be if you looked at market share. Now, I want to stress, I don't have the exact market share numbers. Those are quite hard to get to. But how do they stack up relative to those bigger players we've mentioned? Well, first and foremost, Amazon Web Services. We've long said how you know Amazon's cloud business is really the business that incubates the rest of Amazon's uh, ecosystem and Amazon holding around 33% of the market share in the cloud computing space. I mean, that's absolutely massive. They are the number one player. We've also covered Microsoft here at Magic Markets Premium. And Microsoft, I, again, we noted it in our show, the number two player in this space with around a 23% market share in the cloud computing space, followed closely by Google and Google holding around 10% of the market share. So whilst we don't have Oracle's exact market share number, it stands to reason that it would be smaller than all of those. And it makes up, I guess, the rest of the market share. Uh, Oracle roughly on those kind of metrics could be anywhere between a third to a 10th of the size of Microsoft's cloud business. So again, Definitely a smaller player in the space. And that playing into some of the disappointment that we saw in the market last week. Maybe as a last point on this, this first section that I'm going to be covering, Oracle put out results last week. And following those results, we saw around a 12% drop in Oracle's share price. Now, why would that actually happen? Because if you had a look at the numbers on a headline level, you know, revenue was up, cloud computing revenue, that's been increasing but the market not liking it because the market expected them to grow faster than what they actually put out. And a lot of that was related to their acquisition of a company called Cerner Corporation. Now, who is Cerner Corporation? They are a supplier of effectively health information technology services, so somewhat further down the value chain. And Oracle bought this business in an attempt to actually try and shore up some of its market share in the health cloud computing space. And that was behind some of the disappointment, the company facing some increase in their fixed costs related to that. And I'm going to cover some of those numbers as my next talking point. Yeah, these shows are so interesting. And of course, it's thanks to our sponsor at the moment, B2IT, because they want us to go and do these great shows where we cover two stocks in one show. And it's really enjoyable because sometimes we cover stuff we've covered before in premium like Adobe that I've gone and had a look at. And as you said, Mo, you know, Oracle don't know much about it. So a really cool opportunity for me to learn as well. So looking at Adobe, the share price has gone bananas this year. It's up 78% roughly when I looked, just under $600 a share, not miles off the November 2021 peak of nearly $690, but it plummeted from there all the way down to $275 in under a year before commencing the fight back. So the volatility over the pandemic was extraordinary, as we know. That's what happens when you trade on huge valuation multiples. And this is why there's also this pressure to keep growing all the time. And organic growth is not always easy to come by. So of course, you know, what do they do? They look for acquisitions. And that's exactly what Adobe did in trying to acquire a business called Figma. Now, I'm no techie and I'm not going to pretend to understand how Figma competes with Adobe or not, as the case may be. But from what I've read, it's a tech business that has a product design platform that is actually more popular than one of Adobe's important applications. So by now, you should already have alarm bells going off in your head saying, hey, 
would competition regulators actually allow a deal like this to happen? And the answer to that is, well, no, they wouldn't really. And funnily enough, it was the UK again actually flexing its muscles. They can't win Rugby World Cups, but they do like to really get stuck in when it comes to big tech transactions. So, for example, on Activision, Blizzard, Microsoft, it was the UK that really started to set their heads running. And although that deal actually managed to complete in the end, there was a lot of concern there. But on the Adobe Figma deal, the UK approach is actually so severe that Adobe was happy to just walk away from this, costing them a billion dollars in a termination fee in cash. For reference, a $20 billion deal. So in percentage terms, actually not that much. Now, of course, with the deal off the table, other regulators investigating the deal is actually no longer necessary. But they obviously saw what the UK regulator was suggesting in terms of the conditions for merger, stuff like selling off the source code and all kinds of hectic things. And they thought, no, this is just going to be too hard. Now, this deal was first announced in September 2020. It's more than three years ago as a cash and stock deal. And the market actually didn't love it at the time. And, you know, here we are. The deal's now actually gone away. And what I find particularly interesting is the regulators were actually more worried about the effect on future competition than just the current products. And I think that is a very slippery slope where regulators can sit around a table and, you know, to be blunt, a lot of these regulators have never built businesses themselves and they can dream up all these incredible possible outcomes. You know, these two companies might do X, Y, Z together. Execution is a lot harder than just dreaming up ideas in an academic exercise I don't love the thought of regulators behaving like this. Yes, I understand the impact on future competition, but surely you need to look mainly at what they have today and what is in the immediate deliverable pipeline. Raises even more questions about how Microsoft actually got Activision Blizzard across the line, but that's a story for another day, perhaps. Indeed, such an interesting point on the regulator because you've got Lena Khan, you've got a very active FTC here in in the US. And I mean, we've, we've come across that with a number of stocks that we've actually covered here at Magic Markets and Magic Markets Premium as well. It's why this deal that Oracle did with Cerner is, is so interesting, right? Is, is it also shows you that they went for a player that was further down in their value chain and maybe that raised fewer hurdles from a competition perspective. I'm going to use this to kind of go into the numbers section. So let's pick up where we left off. Cerner, as we indicated, that's really a health IT company. Let's call it that. And this was a $28 billion deal. I know you just said it was a billion dollar termination fee with Adobe just now. And, you know, we speak a billion here, a billion there, and all of a sudden we're talking big numbers. These tech companies are really giants. So this deal with Cerner, $28 billion, was closed in June 2022. And it was really Oracle's attempt to push into that healthcare market, not unlike what we've seen with Microsoft, for example. You know, they, they've been making significant forays further down their value chain, for example, with their deal with the LSE. So a lot of these companies looking to project further down their value chain, secure market share to try and bolster their cloud businesses. Now, let's jump into the numbers. Oracle's total revenue, that came through at $12.9 billion for the quarter, and this was slightly shy of what the market had expected. The market expecting $13.05 billion. So again, not a massive miss, but a miss on the revenue line. If we drill down a little bit further, we've spoken a lot about the cloud business. So let's look at that cloud business. Total cloud revenue, now this excludes the Cerner deal, was actually up 25% at around $4.1 billion. And if you include the Cerner deal, total cloud revenue, the growth slightly less attractive, only up 24%, I say that very tongue-in-cheek, 24% at $4.8 billion. So Cerna is moving the needle somewhat, but it's the rate of growth that the market is concerned about, certainly because 
Oracle's been out there saying, we see this as a very high growth opportunity. If you're saying that, the market's going to expect to see better than the rest of your portfolio, better growth rates coming through from this particular deal. So maybe it's just where we are in the life cycle of that deal. Again, we can try and unpack that a little bit. I think the other concern here goes, quite importantly, is that this is now the second consecutive quarter of the company reporting lower than expected cloud revenue. Now, I want, I want to emphasize that. It's not to say that the revenue grew or, or, or shrank. It's that it just grew less than the market was expecting. Now, does this make sense? Well, if the company is going to be out there talking about the high growth prospects of the deals that they're doing to try and bolster this cloud business, those expectations need to be met. And I think the share price move, as I indicated, down 12% on these results shows you the perils of making these big promises, setting up very high guidance or expectations in the market. And if that starts to get reflected in your valuation, you're going to get punished if that doesn't come through over the next couple of quarters. Now, the company didn't specifically break out the revenue number for Cerner, but it stands to reason that, you know, we're still at an early stage of this acquisition process. As we've indicated, we're now just beyond a year into that deal. And I think the last concern, if we're looking at numbers, is that the near-term forecast, the guidance that was actually issued by Oracle, also disappointed the market somewhat. So, you know, they're looking at revenue growth to come through. And now this is around 8 to 10%. Cloud revenue, excluding the Cerner deal, expected to grow between 26 and 28%. So an acceleration from where we are right now. And again, we'll need to see what the market thinks about this once they've digested the numbers. I know it was a sharp negative reaction last week. This week, stock starting to find some support. So maybe the dust is settling a little bit. Last point I want to raise on the numbers here is that if we look at a long-term chart, the gross margins in these businesses are really super healthy. And that's currently around 70%. Now, for context, it's declined from levels of around 80% over the longer term. But if we then drill that all the way down to operating a net margin, that's where you get it down at 30% and then 20% in, in, in totality. So a lot of costs that come through. And those costs, for example, even with the Cerner integration, with the Cerner acquisition effectively, are what erodes the, the, what drops down to the bottom line. So I'm also dealing with numbers in my second point, Mo. And let's have a look at the core business here because obviously at Adobe, that's you know the actual business. When they actually released results, there was still a chance of the Figma deal going ahead. But core business, so their fourth quarter result was a record for revenue. First time they've exceeded $5 billion. Wonderful. 13% growth year on year. GARP EPS, which in English just means earnings done in a reasonable way from an accounting perspective. That was up 28% year on year, which is fantastic. So that caps off another record year for the company with 13% revenue growth for the full year. And uh, that's quite even, obviously, versus the latest quarter. So interesting to note that. For the full year, earnings per share is actually up only in inverted commas 17%, not 28 like in the latest quarter. Still fantastic. But the real magic of the Adobe model is this is very much software as a service. You know, Adobe is actually one of the best case studies of a business that transitioned into this recurring revenue model from selling you software in a store all those years ago to actually doing it as a service. So recurring revenue, a wonderful thing, and that makes the result even more impressive. And if you dig down into the different segments in Adobe, they are pulling off double digit growth numbers pretty much across the board. And the last point I just want to touch on here is, you know, the way most people actually touch the Adobe ecosystem is the humble PDF format and Adobe Acrobat. Now, that product is free to do most of what you need, and that's exactly the point. 
this is certainly not Adobe's core business, but what they do there, and that's why I wanted to mention it, is they sell PDF-related services in Adobe Acrobat to enterprise customers exactly because PDF is so widely accepted among consumers. It's precisely what Meta is hoping to do in monetizing WhatsApp business. We all use WhatsApp, and they've created that world, or it was created before they even acquired the thing. So for businesses, it's very easy to go to a business and say, hey, we have a solution for you to talk to your customers via WhatsApp pay us for it. And the reason that it is so widely used is because it's free. It's basically the exact same story with PDFs and Adobe Acrobat. But of course, Adobe's product suite goes way beyond that. I mean, they basically power the creator economy, literally, and uh, they're growing really, really strongly. I think that's a great point, right? Is, is you make your product ubiquitous, you create the use case for your product. I mean, Adobe literally inventing the PDF, it, it's used by pretty much everyone. And I think that makes for a very compelling underlying business with Adobe. I'm going to jump into my last point on, on Oracle because again, Oracle business that's existed behind the scenes. And I'm going to focus on some numbers as well. And, and, and you know, I like to look at performance. How has the stock actually performed versus some of the peers in this space? Now, before we even go there, I've mentioned Larry Ellison all the way up front. And Larry Ellison, interestingly enough, you know, even from one of the old tech companies, Oracle is not a business that has transitioned beyond its founder. So that is a little bit of a, a little bit of a risk flag that pops up. Larry Ellison still very involved in the company and still owns around 40% of the company. So definitely an alignment between Larry Ellison and the stock doing well. And you'd expect that to come through in the numbers. But let's look into that. So first and foremost, we know some of our listeners like to look at dividend yield. And in the tech space, you know, that's maybe not, not something that you, you focus on, but Oracle paying a dividend yield of around 1.5%. So not terribly attractive, but certainly better than some of the stocks out there where you've just got to rely on the share price performance. Now let's jump into that share price performance because unfortunately, this is where it's not been good news for Oracle. Let's maybe look at Ghost uh, just the year to date because again, like I say, Oracle's a brand that you don't really hear about or a lot about. We've spoken about Amazon if I were to say, if we were to stack up Amazon, Microsoft, Google, and let's even throw Adobe in there. You've, you've got the Adobe numbers. You've mentioned that. On a year-to-date basis, which one of those players, in your view, would come out at the top of the pops? Who takes the podium? Oh, you know, these guesses always... I'm just going to go with Adobe so I can back my home, te home team here, even though I'm sure it's not. <laughs> so so you actually win this one, Ghost. So, so Adobe, just for the year-to-date... Always back your home back team. Back your home team. That's the lesson. And, and, and I must say, you know, Adobe is not just outperformed recently. Yes, you know, kind of just recently blipped below Amazon, which comes through in number two. And again, maybe one or two percentage points separating that performance on a year-to-date basis. But Adobe coming out tops for the year-to-date up around 80%, just above that. Amazon just below that. So pretty much splitting hairs between those two. But stands to reason, Amazon, the leader in that cloud computing space, as we've indicated. Now, I'm, I'm going to jump right to the end and tell you that if we look at Oracle, Oracle is the stock that's done the worst. It's only up 27% for the year to date. And in between all of that, we've got the other players. We've got the likes of Google and Microsoft coming through in the mid 50% range. Now, maybe it's cheating just looking at this over the course of the year to date. How has Oracle done over the longer term, over a five-year time period? And unfortunately, it brings up the tail end of the spectrum yet again. You know, if we have a look at five years, Interestingly enough, we've actually got Oracle up 126%. But why do I say interestingly enough is if you look at Amazon over that same time period, it's pretty much a similar performance. Amazon up only around 125% over that time period, which I must say surprised me a little bit. 
But if we have a look at who's actually performed, who shot the lights out in the space, a business that goes, we both like, Microsoft. Microsoft coming through with a 278% return over the last five years. Now, I want to stress this is just share price performance. I haven't taken dividends into account. And again, around the middle of the pack, we've got Adobe that comes through 192, Google 181. So why do I raise this is because Oracle's positioning as a cloud computing, as a software, as a service business, as an enterprise player, it's saying what it does on the box, but its delivery of that has been subpar and it's come through in terms of the share price performance. There's a reason why the share has actually trailed, as we indicated in circling all the way back to our market share point. Now, Oracle, when we look at the cloud computing market share, it's really just a fraction of Microsoft market share in that space. And the point I want to stress here is when we looked at stocks like Microsoft, like Amazon, they're not just operating in this cloud computing and enterprise space. They've got so many more other exciting things going on. And when you look at Oracle, yes, they say all the right things. They're talking about how they're using AI. So for example, in the Cerner business that they had actually acquired, they're saying they're using AI. Remember, it's a health IT business. And one of the things they were very happy about is that you know, the AI actually allows doctors to write up their doctor's notes automatically. Now, that might be a good thing, but it's not really quite revolutionary and out there. And that perhaps goes behind some of the lack of traction that the stock has actually shown. To sum up, is Oracle a stock I'm excited about? Well, quite frankly, there are a lot of players in a very competitive space. And I would argue one would probably be better served looking at players like a Microsoft, like an Amazon, or even like a Google that are making decent forays and that are, I would say, the prime competitors in a space where Oracle has really disappointed. So to finish off from my side on Adobe, it's obviously not all good news. And analysts actually picked on their creative cloud business, which registered net new annual recurring revenue. Just listen to that carefully. Net new annual recurring revenue. So not the total, the addition to what they currently have below $400 million for the first time since 2018. So the concern there is how much is it slowing down? Now, management really made me laugh because they skated around the question completely. So it's almost like they have the standard answer of, you know, here's some corporate gumph where I just highlight a completely unrelated fact for you before answering the question. It's kind of like, Ghost, you performed really badly in that cricket game. Yes, but let me tell you about how well I did at soccer last week. And uh, what they first talk, you know, once they actually get through the gumph, they then talk about there's a higher base effect and that's the reason, obviously, for a bit of a slowdown. Okay, sure, that's fair enough. But then they get to the meat of the story, which is actually the answer, which is that in FY22, they had two pricing increases. And FY23 has been a much less exciting period in terms of pricing growth. Even without the pricing increases, though, this part of the business has still grown. So the issue here is not are they growing, it's how quickly are they growing. And that's the conversation that analysts will have with you when you are trading at eye-watering multiples, unfortunately. That's just how it goes. Another important point around these pricing increases is that they get rolled out slowly across various geographies. They don't just press a big red button and suddenly Adobe products are more expensive everywhere in the world. They can't really do that because emerging markets are more price sensitive than, say, North America. And every single time we look at these tech companies and they give you some kind of ARPU or average revenue per user by region, and I'm thinking of something like Meta here, you know, it's always way less in the emerging markets in dollars than it is in North America. And the double whammy here, of course, has been dollar strength in the aftermath of the pandemic versus emerging markets currencies. So not only does the product have to be cheaper in emerging markets on a constant currency basis, i.e. they can't push the pricing through just as hard, but then the dollar strengthens against those currencies and then it actually gets worse. So a dollar correction, i.e. some dollar weakness, is a 
good thing for most of these tech businesses, to be honest, because they export their products from the United States where they have most of their developers who are very expensive resources. And to get end off this concept around Adobe and growth and everything else, and just going back to a theme of where analysts really paid attention, the guidance given by Adobe for next year came under quite a lot of fire for being too conservative. So analysts kind of said, listen, this doesn't look like enough growth. Are you just being conservative here or do we need to be worried? And management's response is kind of along the lines of, well, you know, we are deliberately conservative with guidance. They did kind of show that in 2023, if you look at their actual performance versus initial guidance. But, you know, there's an element in there. You kind of just know there's going to be a year where they miss and they're going to say, well, we told you it was going to be a slow year. So you've got to be careful with this thing. That is the problem with Adobe, unfortunately, is, you know, it's a great business. And when it's doing well, it's fantastic. But, you know, as per that big unwind in the share price that I referenced right at the start of the show, if something starts to go wrong, either in terms of overall tech valuations or the Adobe business itself, that valuation multiple unwinds at an incredible pace. And that's always the risk with a company like this. You know, great long-term play, very nice business to have in your portfolio, generally speaking, but don't put everything in there because you can seriously get hurt. You can watch your position halving value in the space of a year. Indeed, Ghost. I mean, Adobe's been so interesting. You look at that share price chart, you can see, you know, we haven't quite gotten past the peaks that we had seen in 2021, but it has enjoyed this phenomenal, phenomenal rally over the last 12 months. I mean, I reference year-to-date numbers. Go and have a look at over a year. You know, it literally bottomed around a year ago. So that's been a phenomenal rally. I know it's a stock that you've liked for some time. I hope you've held through and you've enjoyed some of these gains. But if I just eyeball the chart, it's run really hard. It's looking quite overbought just on the technicals. And so I certainly wouldn't chase this at, as you've indicated, what looks to be pretty frothy valuations. But what do you think as our listeners? Because that's where we've got to leave it this week. We hope you've enjoyed this final show for 2023. Hit us up on social media. It's at Finance Ghost. It's at Mohammed Nala. And it's at Magic Markets Pod. One word, all on X. Or go and find us on LinkedIn. Pop us a note on there. Let us know what you thought about the show or what some of your ideas are for what we should be covering in 2024. And... We wish you all a very, very happy new year. Stay safe over the festive season and we'll see you on the other side of this. Cheers. Yes, absolutely. All the best for the festive and we'll see you in 2024. We thank our sponsor B2IT for making this show possible. B2IT is all about making life easier, one robot at a time. If you hate it, automate it. Visit b2it.co.za to kickstart your business automation journey. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not financial or investment advice. Please speak to your personal financial advisor.